now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. It's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation, Real People, Real Conversation, and Real Success. And we already successfully had our first glitch. Fortunately, you guys on Facebook and YouTube uh, were not uh, witnessing it, but I was just talking to a, a vacuum. So that's awesome. Loving the ability to write myself up right in the beginning of the year, right in the beginning of the decade, because that's what this is all about is the ability to get the insights that we need to absolutely flourish and, and rock it out of the park. And so today is exciting for me on, on many different levels. Uh, first of all, I get to talk to my producer. Now, she's kind of behind the scenes, kind of on purpose, because that's also the content and context of her book, which is <laughs> awesome. Soul Steering that's coming out pretty soon. And it's about the... That part of our lives that for many of us, it's kind of scary. For some of us, it's like the complete unknown. And for others, it's perfectly normal. So wherever you fit in, this is going to be a great conversation today to, to um, supercharge our year. Because one of the things that I think that ails us most and in, in the realm of fears is the fear of death. What happens after death? And there's so much talk and so much hyperbole and so many myths about that. You know, it's kind of confusing and at the same time scary, depending on where you are and what station you are in life. And so today I want to welcome Robin Cote. Did I say that correctly, Robin? You sure did, Doc. Thank you. Awesome. And I'm kind of bummed that uh, we can't actually see this magnificent person, but uh, somebody apparently hijacked or camera about a year ago, and <laughs> yeah. since then um, we haven't had her on camera. So um, listen in because she's there. If if you want to check her out, um, she's on Facebook. Um, but let's talk about you. Um, you've had an incredible journey over the years, and you know with a great great support from from your family as well, um, and and you've learned some things you know, through that journey, particularly with connecting with what people call the spirits, what people call the afterlife, whatever that is. I'd like to hear more from you of what that's all about, what your journey has been, and what are your beliefs about death? Well, you know, we're conditioned to believe things about death and the afterlife, whether it's religion, just things you hear from other people throughout life. And we tend to let those beliefs sink in. And as children, we're not warped yet to what I call the adult world. We, we're not, um, you know, we have an, more of an open mind. That's why you see a lot of kids have what they call their imaginary friends. It's not really imaginary. I believe it's not anymore. When I was a kid, I didn't really think about that. But I did grow up in a psychic family. My grandmother and great-grandmother apparently we're very much into all of this. They knew Edgar Casey. They learned all of this kind of stuff when they were young, the metaphysical world. But when I was young, I really didn't understand a lot of things that I had seen and heard. 
And if you try to tell people, especially when you're a child, I mean, I'm 52 now, so you're talking like seven, eight, nine years old was the first time I saw my dead grandma appear at the edge of my bed. And she hadn't passed away just yet, but apparently she was on life support. And later that day, you know, my father, I come home from school and my father says that my grandma died. And I tried to explain that I had seen her at the foot of my bed, but they didn't want to listen to me. I was just kind of shoved off like it was nothing. And I still had my father telling me these things about my grandma being psychic and being able to astral travel and all of this. But right. when you tell that to a child, I don't care. I don't understand that. I, I want to know why I saw my dead grandma at the foot of my bed. And, you know, you kind of just push these things aside. And it didn't start happening full-blown to me until around 2001 when my husband passed away from cancer. And we were only together 17 months and married seven months when he died. And the, the most beautiful thing I saw was when he died right in front of me, he died with a smile on his face. But the coolest thing is I touched him just before he passed away, and he was supposedly in a coma. Now, he opened up his eyes, looked at everybody in the room, took a deep breath, and then passed away with this smile. And here I'm looking at this body, waiting for this, you know, the angels or whatever to come get him. What was I going to see? And I didn't see anything, but boy, let me tell you what I felt. I felt this surge of energy go through my hand, up my arm, right through my chest. And it was, if you've ever seen the movie Poltergeist, I reference this a lot in the book. I use movie references because a lot of people can understand it. In the movie Poltergeist, when she's standing at the base of her stairs and she said, my baby passed through me, she could feel the soul of her child go through her. That's what I felt when my husband passed away. Wow. Now, Here's what I forgot to mention. Now, I was a widow at 33. My husband died at 35. Now, from the ages of 23 to 34, this is including my husband, I lost 41 people. So starting at the age of 23, I was going to four, five, six, seven funerals a year. And most of these people were people that I worked with that were around my age range. Some were family that were older. But a good portion of these people were young people just like me. My best friend died at 30 of cancer. That's not something I expected to happen. I had several friends die from suicide. And I was prepared. And I didn't understand why all these people were, were dying on me. But I had a friend pointed out to me, look, they're dying. Their death is already predetermined. You have nothing to do with it. Your friendship with them is not what's causing their death. You are in their life to learn from their death because you're being prepared for something. And within six months of him telling me that, that's when I met my late husband. And wow. 17 months later, I was the one that had to pull a plug so he could leave his body and go to the next plane. Wow, that's, that's, that's intense. And so, then, so my question then, you know, when you're that little girl, when you saw your grandma, you know, what did you think then? And, and what was that conversation that you actually had? She didn't really say much other than she, I saw her like reach over the bed and just kind of touch me, but I couldn't really feel anything. It was just like a, it was just like, you know, you get the little prickles and stuff when you sit on your hands or your legs too long and your, your legs fall asleep. It was like a little prickle when I touched that white light and she just told me she loved me. And 
it was it it was nothing bad. She woke me from a sound sleep. So right. when your parents kind of look at you and just brush it off like it's no big deal and you really don't understand it, you think it's cool, but hey, you know, maybe it's a dream. And then when they right. tell you that later that day that she's dead, it's like, whoa, right. what? <laughs> now, mean, did that put you in a place of, say, denial about it? Or did you just say, well, you know, my parents don't know what they're talking about and I'm still okay with it? Um, I just didn't talk about it after that. It was yeah. done and over with because, like I said, there was really nothing that came about for many years until my friends started dying off. And I was having dreams about a couple of my friends who had died before my husband did, right. but, but I didn't understand what that was either. I thought it was just dreams. So my question actually is, do you have any friends left? Oh yeah, yeah, but okay. I, there's a point, I talk about this in, in both of my books because you know it, it, I write about true life things and there was a point after losing so many people I had somebody come up to me and said, oh, I've heard about you. You're good friends with the Grim Reaper. I don't know if I want to be friends with you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how do I take that? Because I'm a smart aleck, you know, being in radio and the entertainment industry. The first thing I would say is something just being smart ass to someone and not worrying about it. But that one did kind of hit home with me because it was like, wow, seriously, you're going to judge me based on everybody else dying around me? So what have you learned through this? I mean, obviously, you know, it sounds like the, the visit from your grandma, which is the first one you remember, right? Yeah. And, and you could have had them before, too, perhaps. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a few other spirits that have come around even mm -hmm. before all of that happened, you know, after my grandma died. And I didn't realize that it was spirit contact because again you're going based on what's happened and seeing my grandma in that white light was the first time and then later on i was in a very abusive marriage when i was 17 18 19 and it was at the end of that marriage that i had met what i call the ghost on the wire and i was communicating with someone via telephone that i thought was real and I didn't know for several years that that person was actually trapped in between worlds, whatever you want to use for your lingo. I didn't understand why we were having the conversations we were having. It didn't make sense that this person was actually dead. And I knew at this point they were alive. I didn't know they were dead. <laughs> I'm just having a conversation. But like I said, years later, it was revealed because this person and I developed feelings for one another and he was able to transition to the other side com and completed that journey because for some reason he couldn't let go of being here in the physical. He was still trapped. And that's one of the things that I've come to learn through so much research and talking to so many people is that, yeah, sometimes we are afraid to let go and we are afraid of death. And we're even in the living, we're afraid of death. So sometimes if we get taken abruptly, or we do something to take our lives, we're kind of stuck in this place. And it's like, okay, well, why can't I go where, where it's all over with? Why can't I just move on? But apparently yeah. with this particular spirit, he needed somebody to love him unconditionally to set him free. And the last message he left me was exactly that, that he thanked me for showing him how to love again and that I had set him free. And 
you know, it's weird because how can I speak to somebody on a telephone that doesn't exist in the physical world? That's a question that I would love to ask anybody because I still question it. This happened in 1987. I still question it. How did it happen? So uh, normally I have answers for most things. <laughs> I definitely don't, don't have an answer now. I don't think we have an answer to that. It's it is just what it is. And you know, it there were so many things that happened, you know, from two thousand one. I had premonitions of things happening, but I didn't understand what they were. And I worked in the newsroom when nine eleven happened, so I got to see everything as it happened. Even though I was here in Arizona, I still saw it and it still affected me. And I wanted so badly to go there. And let me tell you something. There were, there were many years where I lost my ability. And I know you and I have talked about this off the air. This is not a gift I have. It's not a gift. I am not a psychic. I don't go out and conjure up ghosts to talk to their lost loved ones. I'm just a regular person who's gone through so many things in my life and I'm open and receptive, and that's when the communication happens because I don't fear it. I don't fear death because I've had so much death and I've seen it firsthand. I'm still here. There's things I've gone through that should have killed me. My first marriage should have killed me being with a very abusive man, but I'm still alive. And then, you know, finding the love of my life and losing him after less than two years and having the communication. You know, that's the greatest thing in the world, Doc, the greatest thing. And when I started writing this book, I had forgotten because I started this manuscript like in 2001, but I put it down because it just didn't feel right to do it back then. And when my husband died in February, 2001, so many things were happening and I couldn't explain it, seeing things, hearing things. And it's like the UFO theory. If you are the only person that sees it or hear it, you're going to think you're crazy. You're not going to believe it. But when you have people around you that see these things, that hear these things, at least you have a few more people that are sitting there with you looking at each other going, yeah, we heard it too. Yeah, we saw it too. So you don't think you're crazy. And I didn't, I didn't remember how much my husband was around me after he died. I remembered certain things, but going back and revisiting the manuscript, he was around me so much when he died. And it was phenomenal at how many things he did for me, for my son, who he grew very close to. And it was just, to me, the message with that is to know that, yeah, it sucks when we lose our loved ones. It really does because we can't touch them. We can't kiss them. We can't hug them. We can't make love to them anymore. We can't hang out with them. We can't go see a movie. But the thing is, they're always with us. They never truly leave. They're just on this other on this other side it's just a very thin veil that separates the worlds from where we are and that was the biggest gift i got out of starting to write this book is realizing that he was with me every step of the way and he still is today from time to time he'll come around and do things and that's what we need to understand and i know it's going to sound crazy to a lot of people out there trust me it was crazy to me years ago too seeing things and hearing things and thinking they should lock me up in a padded cell and throw away the key or medicate me. But 
it was the greatest gift in the world to realize that, you know, these people are still with you. They don't go anywhere, even though they're not physically here, they're still here. And what a wonderful thought that is. What a, what a wonderful reality, if, if that's a reality that we can embrace to know that we're never, never alone. And, uh, you know, we, we don't need to have that, that fear. Can I, um, can I blow your mind it, real quick? Yeah, go ahead. In, remember, my mind's already blown, by the way. Well, go ahead. You can blow it up more. <laughs> this is going to be another thing because I, this particular, you know, thing disappeared. I wasn't able to communicate or hear things anymore for quite a while because I got myself into a very toxic relationship, which I've been divorced for almost five years now. And in 2017, May of 2017, um, your former producer that used to work here, who was one of my dearest and closest friends, committed yes. suicide. Yes. Um, I found her. So I dealt with a lot of emotions. And when I found her, I was able to, since I had so much death, I was the right person for the job. And I hate to say it, but that's exactly what it was. I was able to take care of the necessary means to get the authorities and the people there for her. And she started communicating to me within a short amount of time. And here's where I'm going to blow your mind along with everyone else listening. I'm not a religious person. I'm spiritual. I grew up non-denominational. My father was Catholic. My mom, I believe, was Baptist when she grew up. But growing up, we went to a non-denominational church. But for some reason, the belief system that was put into me, whether it's conditioning from our world, conditioning from our religion, conditioning from our families, I always believed that suicides went to hell. Mm. And let me tell you something. She proved me wrong. So she took my belief system that had been poured into me. So I've had a lot of suicide in my life, and I wasn't sure. And... When she came to me in this beautiful white light, I felt nothing but peace and love. And I saw things. She regrets what she did, but she knew at the time that's what she felt was the right thing to do because of where she was at with her life. And that blew my mind because she showed me suicides do not go to hell. Wow. I mean, you know, that's, (laughs) that's a whole new thing. So, you know, I'm still taking that in almost three years later. You know, I mean, truth be told on my end, um, you know, I've heard that, but I've never ascribed to that belief. Um, You know, I I think that's just, you know, fear mongering, you know, from whatever reason. I agree. Uh, And and I think a lot of, you know, statements or beliefs like that, I think we're all victims of of misconceptions And, and all of them, perhaps in one form or another, serve to, to protect us. Um, you know, suicide, in my opinion, is, is nothing more than um, someone who just has so much pain. Uh, they've, they've tried hard enough already to deal with the pain and just have no other, another, any other way to handle it. And so that's all that it is. So if anything, it's giving themselves a reprieve of all the pain. It's sad that it happens. It's unfortunate that it happens. Um, but it's also a warning to, to the rest of us that, um, you know, as, as, as human beings, you know, let's be even more humanitarian and help our, the people around us um, get into a, 
what I would say frame of mind that's positive, it's generative and, and not tear down people and all that kind of stuff and not make people feel bad because I think ultimately that's what does happen. Occasionally, of course, you're going to have people um, that do have you know, severe mental imbalances due to, or chemical imbalances, I should say, in the brain. Um, and that's not necessarily due to any kind of intoxication. It's just how they're wired. And I won't mention any particular names, but you know, there's some very well-known figures who did commit suicide and their brains just couldn't handle it anymore. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I, you didn't blow my mind away this time. Oh, that's good. Well, I know a lot of people when I, the thing of it is, is I'm starting to get more comfortable talking about all this. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I, when I mentioned that to some people, they're like, you've got to be kidding me. I grew up Catholic. I know it's a sin. It's like, well, here's where the sin is at when you do it you got to come back in another lifetime and take care of it. <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that I know from experience because I, this is a whole different subject, but I had a past life regression two and a half years ago that showed me how I ended my last life, and that's exactly how I did it. I slit my wrist with a razor blade and killed myself. And I had to come back and face that same soul in this lifetime and walk out on my own and stand up on my own two feet and not take my life, even though that entered my mind a couple of times I knew better and I had to beat that cycle of karma, I guess is what you call it. But I was able to beat it this time around and not take that way out. So I think that's like the main drawback. And of course, with suicide, it's everyone else that's left behind that feels the guilt. Why shouldn't I been able to do something? Why couldn't I? I had no idea. And the first three weeks after she had died, I ended up with the task of delivering messages to her friends and family and some of these people I had never met Mm. and to sit in front of these people for four or five hours and talk to them and ease their guilt and help their pain subside. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to watch the relief. I mean, they're still going to hurt. They're still going to blame themselves, but her words coming through me are not my words. They're her words. And that's how this works. I don't, I don't ever want to say something to somebody that isn't true just to make them feel better. And I did have it with one of her sisters. One of her sisters begged her for forgiveness. And of course, it doesn't matter if they're in the here and now or in the spirit world. If they're stubborn, they ain't going to do it. <laughs> and she, yeah. she just shook her head, no. And all I could do was tell her sister, hey, look, what happens here doesn't exist there. Right. Well, does she forgive me? I can't tell you that. What happens here doesn't exist there. That's all I can tell you. I will never, ever, ever misinterpret the message just to make someone feel better because a lot of times it may not be something you want to hear, but you need to hear it. Yeah, isn't that true? Isn't that true about so many things in our lives, right? Right. That's why we all go to life coaches and counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists. Right. That's why I have a business and coaching. Um, So... I have a, a several questions. Go for it. Well, first of all, um, explain to to us this whole concept of of the spirit. You know, because again, it's 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 a fascinating um, thing that that's happening. You know, where there's the, a spirit, a soul um, comes into a body. But explain to us your your understanding of what's happening and, and what this whole process of reincarnation is all about as we come into this life to to resolve the things that are still left unresolved 
Well, I, like a lot of people, had no idea about all of this. And it's just stuff that I've learned through experience, through meeting with other people who have had experiences and doing a lot of reading and research. And from what I understand is we are not a human being having a spiritual experience. We are a spiritual being having a human experience. And again, a movie reference Kind of like the Matrix, we're plugged into this existing world that we're in on this plane as a human being, going through trials and tribulations, having to go through our karmic cycle, our Akashic records, I guess is what they call a lot of that. We have to go through these things that we learn. Our job as a spiritual being slash human being is to live, love, learn, and teach. We're here to learn. We're here to love one another. We're here to teach each other. And we're here to take what we learn back over to the other side. Because in, in my revelation of all of this, I've learned this is not where we normally live. We live on the other side. We're, where everyone is gone, they're, they're dead and gone on the other side. That's where we normally live. And they just come here so that we can have that human experience. And I think the biggest issue with human experience is emotion. Because emotion does get in the way of a lot of things. It does get in the way of the learning process, and sometimes we let the emotions get the better of us. That's why we overreact, and we react to a lot of things, but that is part of the learning cycle. And once we emotionally detach ourselves from a lot of things that happen in this world, that's when we start to really see things clearly and start to identify what it is that we're supposed to learn. And if we're not learning from it, we are going to continue to repeat the cycle, not only on Earth here, you know, on this planet as a human being. But again, if you don't, if you don't fix it in this lifetime, you're going to come back again and you're going to have to go through those lessons till you figure it out. So obviously then there's a lot of lessons that we need to learn. And I'm going to do a little tongue in cheek right now. So if, if you're kind of like the, the scum of the earth, well, there's hope for you because maybe next time you'll come back in as a king or a queen. Hmm. I don't think so. No? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, uh, that's why you hear this constant thing about the good versus evil, bad. Why do bad things happen to good people and why do no. bad bad people? I mean, I don't know for sure because I don't have the recollection of mapping out my life, but I did see coming back into this life, I had an argument with this archangel or whatever he was, my guide when I was in what I call the soul realm and I argued with him, I said, I don't want to be born into that family. And he said, you don't have a choice. And I've understood that you do have a choice, but you predetermine, I've been told you predetermine your life path that you're going into. So I don't know why somebody would pre-program their life into being a bad person, but there's something to be learned from it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe they get their comeuppance at the end. Maybe they go to prison. Maybe they end up becoming the person who gets murdered by somebody else. I mean, I, that's kind of the stuff that I still want to figure out, but I'm not exactly sure how that whole cycle works with those kind of people. All I know is what's happened to me and what's happened to people I've talked to and the ones who have actually had regression. I've, I've seen several of my past lives and... I've always told myself, I've, I've been told since I was a young child by people that this is going to be my last time here on this earth. That's why I'm, my path has been full of speed bumps and learning lessons because I've had to learn a lot because I'm transcending to wherever's next. But 
I'm not going anywhere for at least another 40 years. So I got a while. Well, that's good because we need to keep you for another 40 years so that you can help a lot of other people. Well, I'm trying and they're helping me. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about it because I learned so much by watching and learning or watching other people, what they go through. And the biggest thing is when we go through things, we can't just shut down. We have to be able to tell our story because you never know who you're going to inspire to tell their story to get to right. a better place. Or you're going to give them an instruction manual on how to find themselves out of the dark and into the light because that's, that's what we all are supposed to do. And a lot of people forget that part. They get their healing and they move on and they forget that it's supposed to be about sharing how you made it through that. This person may need to hear your voice. They may need your life preserver in the dark. And you just don't know who you're going to help. And that's the key to it is you've got to continue down that process of putting things out there and helping people. And having written two books now about true life things that have happened to me, I'm finally extremely comfortable. I mean, it took a lot for me to get comfortable talking about domestic violence and death. But now right. to be able to go out in the world and say, hey, guess what? Dead people talk to me. No, I don't talk to dead people. They talk to me. <laughs> I'm not conjuring them up. They just show up whenever they feel. And we all have it. We all have that ability. But life gets in the way. And I get that so many times from people that I meet. Well, how come I can't connect with my son who passed away? You can. You're just missing the signs. You're not paying attention oh, to things. So, so that's my other question. Then, okay. Evidently, you know, or obviously, um, from a very early on age, you were able to make that connection. You were able to open up that door or that portal to have that communication. So what is it that was different with you in that sense? You know, what was it? Was it because you hung around a grandmother who you knew was psychic? And so did she teach you these things? And, and what is it that you then tell others, you know, for them to want to, who want to connect, you know, what it is that they can do? Okay, well... My grandmother was in Florida. We moved from Florida when I was three to Arizona. I saw my grandmother probably four times after we left Florida. So you're talking between the ages of three and 10, seven years. Yeah. I only saw her four times. Right. And my grandmother and grandfather were a little older because my father was 40 when I was born. So they, they weren't like super fond of kids. You know what I mean? They raised their 10 kids. They did their job and they had gobs of grandkids and great grandkids and on down the line. Right. They weren't like super fond of having a bunch of kids in the house. So I wasn't like close to my grandma. I would talk to her when I got there, but it was like maybe five or 10 minutes and then, you know, out the door because she was a lot older. And, right. you know, they were from Canada originally. So they spoke, they were French Canadian. So it was always French being spoken around the relatives and my mom and my brother and me were English. We didn't understand the French, so we kind of just bailed. But Bye. the fact is I didn't have a close relationship to her. I only knew of these things that my father talked about. We had books in the house on Edgar Casey, but they were too, um, I was not smart enough at that age to read that type of literature. I didn't understand Bye. it and couldn't get a grasp. So the only thing I can think of is that I was a child. Children are not, I can't even think of the word, but they don't get jaded as quickly as adults do. And there's so many things that happen when you're an adult that affect you. And again, the emotional quote just jumps right in. 
the emotions cloud the mind. They cloud the judgment. So when you become a teenager, you know how it is. Hormones kick in. Things get over overreactive with us. A boy or a girl, things happen. And then as we become adults dealing with relationships and work and, and learning how to be an adult in our world, we shut our mind off to things. When kids are little, their mind is open. What does a kid want to do? A kid wants to play. That's all a kid wants to do. They want to play. They want to have fun. They want to stuff food in their mouth, eat cookies and candy, go play with their friends. So that's the only thing I can believe that it is because I wasn't, I never had this talk with my grandmother. I never had these talks with my parents that said, well, maybe you have a gift. I was never taught that. And the first time that I saw something really strange happen, I was in junior high. I was in seventh grade. So this would have put me somewhere around maybe 11 or 12, maybe 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. And I had an incident happened and I got bullied a lot. So I ended up trying to hit the bully with my elbow and I hit someone else and smacked him in the face. So I got sent to the principal's office. The bully didn't get in trouble. I did. So I got extremely angry. I stared at a stack of pencils waiting for the principal to come in. And all of a sudden, these pencils started flying everywhere. And one of them hit me in the forehead and scared the daylights out of me and woke me up out of this trance. And I've never been able to do it since, but it's like the movie Ghost, where Patrick Swayze yeah. learns to move objects on the subway with controlled anger. That's something very similar to what I did. So when I really break it all down, I just happened in these situations. I didn't have anybody guiding me, anybody talking to me about it. I just had a very open mind because I was a child, but it did kind of scare me a little bit, right. you know, because I didn't understand it. So, for, but for now, if, if you were to share with others, you know, and I, I get, I understand the fact about children and, and clearly as you know, by the age five or seven, probably more like by the age of seven, they begin to realize, you know, social structures and the need to belong and, and the fear of rejection and all these things. And, you know, prior to then, it's just like, you know, whatever you want to imagine is possible. I and mean, one of the, the most, um, um, I wouldn't say impressive, but uh, impactful moments was when I was in Spain <clears throat> And I was uh, like a teenager at that time, and I saw this little kid, uh, must have been, you know, three years old, um, by a swimming pool. And just, he owned the world. You know, children are omnipotent. They, everything is possible in their minds. And unfortunately, you know, as a child, you can't always articulate what it is that you see. Mm -hmm. And so I, I get what you're saying. And, and that capability of seeing, you know, the unseen for the adult is just lost. So how do we regain that? How do we re regain this capacity to connect with, you know, a dimension that quite frankly probably has a lot of answers that we need? I would agree. And uh, again, going based on my experience, um, from when I experienced the stuff with my late husband and a few other people in 2001, going into 2002, things, I was experiencing them. I was very open to it. 
But in 2003, I met someone else. And within three years, I was married to that person. And this was a person that didn't believe in it, called it hocus pocus BS, wouldn't allow me to talk about it at all, and just completely shut it out. And then I went through a verbally abusive relationship with this man, beating me down every day with words. And again, you know, that's what happens. I believe that when you're caught up in the emotion of everything, you're missing things. And it was until 2017, until I was able to get that ability back and communicate with someone who had passed away. So you're talking from 2003-ish all the way to 2017, I had no spirit contact whatsoever from anybody. And even if I had, I probably would not have been open and receptive to it because of the atmosphere that I was in. And this is what I tell everybody, based on my experience, when you lose your loved one, you're going through the grief process. You're grieving. You're trying to pick up the pieces and get back into life. But you so desperately miss that person that sometimes we're so lost in our own minds that we don't see the little tiny things around us. And the first thing that happened with my late husband, like I said, was the little ball of energy going through the body. Within 24 hours, he was doing things at the house, moving things, even with a sense of humor. He was a real smart ass in life. So I'll tell you what happened. I had to move everything out of the house that we were leasing and because the lease was up. So we went to go stay with my parents, my son and I. And the first night at my parents' house, I was watching a hockey game because that's how me and my late husband met was at a hockey game and I was a hockey writer. So I was watching the game so I could make my notes and we were down three, nothing. And the next team, they score another goal. So you're talking four, zero. Out of nowhere, this loud bang hit my TV set and something flew. And I didn't know what it was. I got up and I saw my earrings on the floor. I went to pick up my earrings and this loud voice out of nowhere goes, losers. And I just started laughing and started crying. It's like, okay, who the hell is that? There's nobody in this room but me. And I knew it was him because I recognized his voice. And that's the hard part because we get so caught up in the emotions. We get so caught up in the day-to-day. What do we do next? What do we do next? Right. And we don't even see things, whether it's songs that are being played out of nowhere that just show up, that remind you of that person. Um, feathers is another thing. Coins. My late husband was moving objects in the house consistently and really irritating me, but it was, it was funny in the end because they're still letting you know that they're, they are there. Think about the penny scene in Ghost. Again, another movie reference. The penny right. scene where he moves the penny. They can do these things, and we are just so blinded to everything because we're so caught up in the emotion. And when I, when I, you know, I work in a studio. I see up to 50 people a week that come in and out of here, guests, hosts, everything. And right. it's, it's really weird when I'm in the middle of a show and a spirit will come through. And you have to be careful, you know, I'm learning how to be very careful with it because you don't want to freak people out. But I get a lot of people are very receptive to it because they so desperately want to know that their loved ones are okay. And I can honestly say this with every fiber of my being. When they leave here physically, they're going to be okay. 
they don't feel what they felt here. Their sickness is gone. My husband was so infested with cancer when he died. I couldn't donate any of his organs but his corneas to help someone give, you know, get the vision back. But he was so infested with cancer, but yet he is just like this little prankster all these years later on the other side, still playing tricks on me. And, you know, maybe even his family. I don't talk to his family about that stuff, but I'm still close to his family. And he's been around quite often through the years. They, they have things they have to do. So a lot of times if you're expecting your loved one to come through right away after they die, that's not going to happen all the time because they still have to go through what they call that whole life review. They have to do that. Because if you, if you listen to people who talk about their near-death experiences where they die and come back, a lot of those type of people have seen their life reviews. So they get it as well. And I've never died. I could have been killed by my first husband, but I'm still here. And I've experienced it because I've had a lot of death and I've allowed myself to be open about it and accept it. And I've never had a bad spirit come to me. And I know a lot of people fear that as well, but I think because I don't fear death, I don't fear anything, I don't think I draw a negative entity to me. I may, deal, I may have a struggling entity come to me, but I, I've never had a bad one come to me as far as taking over my body and making me possessed other than Wendy. She, she actually did that to me the first couple days after she died. She came to me and made me feel what she felt and why she had to do what she did. And it's a gift that she did that. I didn't like it. I don't ever want that to happen again, but I've never had a bad spirit because I don't fear it. And again, we fear death. And that's the one thing. If you're fearing death, you're not living life. Don't, right. don't worry about your future. It's not here yet. Don't worry so much about death. Enjoy living in the moment. You can't change what's happened in the past and you can't program the future. All you can do is live for today. Well, if anything, it should be a simple reminder that we should live our best. Be our best you know, version of ourselves, or at least working towards that. Because if that's the case, if you're focused on that, regardless of when you go, you, you, you've done your best. And, and I think it's incumbent in all of us to you know, discover who that is. You know, one thing kind of popped up in my head as you were talking, and I think the reason that, you know, there's so much negativity about um, these spirits and potentially negative spirits or bad spirits, I I think it's people's response simply to to illustrate or they're basically um, confessing their own fear of what that is and therefore making it to be a bad thing. in, in my view of the world, there aren't any bad people. There's bad behavior. There's toxic behavior and all these things. That's for sure. Um, but not so sure that there is, you know, quote, unquote, uh, evil. Um, you know, when we look at, you know, the bad things that happen, um, these are more in reference to like sin, for example, from the Latin derivation, it means to be without. Um, evil, I forget where that specifically comes from, but... It's, 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 it's a matter of being not connected with the best of you. And so I think it's, it's important for us to appreciate simply this, that yes, we're, we're spirits in the human body. We're going through this journey through life. And 
you know, why not try to make the best of it? And, and death also, also, at least in my past experience for myself was, you know, fear of missing out in a way, fear of not being my best, fear of not accomplishing the things that I, that I wanted to accomplish in this world. And now just actively doing that, you know, I know that I'm going to make a big difference and that's exciting. And so the focus is on that versus on what's not going to happen. Um, and the other part I think underlying for so many is, you know, we always talk about confidence and self-esteem and, you know, when we're not fully engaged, you know, with the best of ourselves, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and death also brings that in. And so I think it's, it's helpful for us to appreciate that, you know, um, spirits uh, in the beyond, um, there's a continuation of that. And, and you talk to many of the ancients' wisdom, um, you know, from indigenous tribes and that kind of thing. You know, they all believe that. In fact, for them, death was like a rebirth. It's a, it's a time to come back, reincarnate, and, and learn the lessons that you didn't learn, learn the first time. So my question then to you in reference, because I, I didn't, haven't quite heard this often enough, but this whole idea of a review, um, share, share what that's about. Share what the review is about and the purpose of the review. And, and who's reviewing? I, th I believe it's the archangels. I This is just okay. what I've heard because I myself have never had a life review that I'm aware of in this lifetime because I've not had a near-death experience where I can come back and talk about it. But just from my network of people who have experienced it and just by watching some documentaries and doing research, um, I believe it's your angels. I believe it's, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe it's whoever's over there that's helping you. And we do have angels that have ascended or our guardians who have ascended to the next level. And that's what our ultimate goal is, is to get to those ascension levels. And by coming back here and reincarnating, we learn those lessons. We go up there or out there. I don't like to say up there because it's out there. We don't really know where it is. It's just there. And we get the life review of what we've done in this lifetime that we just expired from and moved on from. And it's like, okay, what did you learn? Because you hear it all the time. My life flashed before my eyes. I saw everything I did that was right. I saw things that I did that was wrong and what I needed to work on. So I think it's just like a classroom type of thing where you are one-on-one -on -one with your teacher and your teacher's sitting there. You know how you go to those meetings, the parent-teacher conference. If you think of it like that, it makes it very simple. You're just sitting there talking to somebody about what you've done in this lifetime and what it is you need to go back and learn because you didn't complete the lesson. So, I mean, that's as close as I can come to it without having experienced it myself in this lifetime. So, so do you know where the word lunatic comes from? Yeah, I know a lot of people will look at me and think I am a lunatic for saying that. <laughs> but do you know where it comes from? Not really. All right. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. And I think it's, it's relevant now because, you know, all the things that we don't understand, or, or can't even imagine, um, and, and it scares us if somebody else can imagine those things for a lot of different reasons, which I won't go into, uh, but one of which is to be left behind. And so um, that's why we, we dispel the fact that some people can do things or see things that, that they can't. 
And so same thing with lunatics. So lunatics were those people who believed that, you know, we could go to the moon. Well, guess what? We did. And so, uh, but they were, they were seen as being crazy. And so that's why they called them lunatics. Hmm. So well, interesting tidbit of information. So what's relevant here in what you're saying is that um, there's a lot that we don't know. And, and when you think about it, um, how does this all work? I mean, we're body, we're physiology, we got trillions of cells, you know, trillions, you know, quadrillions of neuron connections. You know, how is it even possible, right, that we have this existence, we have this manifestation? There has to be some sort of guidance one way or another. And, um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't spend much time in this space that, that you do. And so I don't ponder much about that. I, I ponder much more about practical psychology and, and how to become our best version of ourselves. And, and, but I do believe this. I do believe that we're all connected one form or another. And that connection is something that we don't fully understand. We don't know what's beyond what our senses can perceive. And some people perhaps, you know, or evidently can perceive a lot more like yourself. And so, uh, but that has limits as well. So you don't know what's beyond what you can perceive. And so it's one of my favorite quotes, you know, from the film Contact when Jodie Foster is a little kid um, and talking to her dad, now, shortly before he died, actually. And they're, they're, she asked, you know, is there life? And they're looking at the stars and she's looking and she's asking, is there any life out there? And then the response of the dad was great. I mean, he said something to the effect, well, that would be an awful lot of wasted space. And, and so that's how I view the galaxy, the universe, the energy. It'd be an awful lot of wasted space if there wasn't much, much, much more out there. Right. And, I just don't understand it. I, I I'm not worried about it, um, and um, and it's it's awesome that there are people like yourself that have figured out how to make that connection. Well, and and you see, I only became a student and studied all of it because I myself thought I should have been locked up in a nut house because I didn't get it. You know, 25 years ago, I didn't understand it, and I had to make sense of it. And, you know, I, when you connect with spirits and I, being at ground zero was one of the most amazing experiences, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, emotional experiences I've ever had in my life. But being there in January of 2018 and connecting with six people, five of them that had perished on 9-11, that was something incredible that me, just a regular person, didn't know these five, six people. I didn't know any of them, but they chose to show me them and what they went through. And that is, I mean, I still, I still question it, but I did over 400 hours of research to make sure I knew what the hell I was talking about because these are real life people that you're dealing with. And it's, it's incredible that there is some kind of connection. It's like, 
I always tell everybody like a joke because I am a smart aleck. It's like a claw machine. You know, those little claw machines that grab the stuffed animals. They're just like right. sticking this little claw into my head and connecting with me. However it is, telepathically, whatever. It is just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I would have never known about a lot of this. And I, you know, younger, <laughs> whatever, teenage years, 20s. Oh, yeah, right. For some reason, everybody's dying around me. This sucks. Life sucks. But all of a sudden, I get this world revealed to me. And, you know, it's like a little kid well, in a candy store. Can I go check it out and see what it is? Right. Yeah, look at it from this perspective. And I think it's, it's perhaps a beautiful metaphor. And we're almost about ready to wrap it up. Um, wow, that went fast. Um, <laughs> it's almost like when, when you're flying in an airplane and it's dark outside and there's, it's, there's no clouds, but you're, you're flying over, you know, country. And occasionally you'll see a light in the distance, you know, from a hole. And so it's almost like in this field of darkness, let's just call it that. You're just that bright light with some bunch of other bright lights out there. And the spirits gravitate to that. And that's perhaps why these six people at 9-11 came to you. Yeah. So as we wrap, wrap it up, um, tell us one more thing about your book and perhaps you know, what your purpose is being that conduit that people get to share and, and what you believe your purpose is in all of this. The biggest thing that I want people to know, and it's the reason why I wrote the book, is not to, you know, share things that have happened, but in a way it's to tell everybody, look, I'm not special. I'm just like you. I experience things in life just like the average normal person. You're no different than me. Your experiences are different, but we all are the same. And right. you have the ability to do exactly what I can do. The only difference is, is the clutter gets in the way. And the greatest lesson that we all learn from the spirit world is the fact that our loved ones are okay. They don't feel the pain anymore. They're in a better place. And if you've lost someone to suicide, don't beat yourself up so much about it because they are in a place where they don't feel what they felt here. They're in peace. And hopefully that is something that can help you feel better. And I know it takes a while to work through the guilt and the pain and the loss of somebody, no matter what the situation is. But I'm just here to let people know that they're just right there. Talk to them, look for the signs, pay attention. And if you hear something or see something, you don't have to share that with anybody. That is for you. Because again, you're going to get people that might think you're nuts. But then again, you might find people that can relate and understand because they've had that happen too. Well, you're a very special person in so many ways, um, particularly being a smart aleck. So you can be <laughs> special that way. Um, but also special in having the courage to share this with us. And so I, I want to thank you for that. Our time's actually up. Wish we had some more time. Um, but also, this was my gift to you because um, you've been so helpful with, for me over the last year with producing my show. And I don't always get you give you a chance to talk. And certainly this time uh, I was able to do that as we start the new decade. So thank you, uh, Robin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. And I'm Dr. Bart Rad. I make a prescription for your transformation, real people, real conversations and real success, talking to the amazing Robin Cote in the background somewhere. She's there. 
and um, getting ready for a blockbuster new year. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Bart Rademacher live right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or on demand 24-7.